Hello, and welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am Adam, your grapefruit guy, and with me, we have... Your Brussels sprout, Daniel. This, of course, is the Passion Fruit Podcast. <laughs> Let's introduce the name of the show no. first. We have, to keep, we have to keep the listeners guessing. I do like We're it. a podcast full of mystery. I do like it immediately being called the podcast. <laughs> the only podcast. Um, yeah, I'm your Brussels sprout, Daniel. <laughs> yes, and I'm your grapefruit guy, if anyone didn't hear that yes. already. And, oh, go ahead. Oh, but... Uh, once again, welcome to Passion Fruits. The podcast. Yes. The now, podcast. We now, invented it. Yeah, we, we invented the entire genre. Yep. Take that, Mark Marone. <laughs> Anyways, Daniel, so what do we do on this podcast? Well, Adam, we on this podcast, we go through and discuss many subjects to try and figure out how someone goes from a casual fan to a very passionate fruity fanatic um and yeah you know we just um we have guests on and we talk to ourselves and we talk alone to try and figure out how we become so obsessed with something i mean uh this is actually just daniel's second voice he just talks to himself (laughs) the entire time and interrupts himself as well it's very odd and laugh yeah i'm actually just (laughs) you're the most skilled ventriloquist ever thank you thank you i'm glad you're sitting on my lap still (laughs) And yes, I am happy to see you. <laughs> um, but what are we talking about today, Adam? Today, Daniel. Uh, so Daniel is passionate about Quentin Tarantino films. Yes, so I am a passionate about Quentin Tarantino. You are a passionate, <laughs> yes. Oh boy, it's been a long day, folks. It's only getting longer. The first thing that Adam told me when I walked in, he goes, I'm so tired. (laughs) That's the energy we bring here to Passion Fruits Podcast. Um, But yeah, no. So we are talking about Quentin Tarantino today. Now, to, to... are you a fan of Quentin Tarantino or more of his films or his film style? Or are they all one and the same to you? The... I am a fan. I am a fan of Quentin Tarantino films, and that's actually what we can kind of discuss when we get into talking about Quentin Tarantino as a person. Sure. But what I wanted to focus on today was Quentin Tarantino films because I am a major fan of his films, and I've really enjoyed them since I first started watching them. All right. Way back when. So, with that in mind, let's let's dive right in. Yes. To the. Passion Fruits Pedia section. Yes. So now, we're going to start with film. What is film, Adam? Well, well, film is a medium, an art form, if you will. Moving pictures, if you will. Although <laughs> Talkies, sometimes, if you will, <laughs> sometimes film can be still. Do you remember those still films? What are those? <laughs> They're called PowerPoints. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so let's dive right into Passion Fruits Pedia yeah. and talking about Quentin Tarantino, the director the filmmaker, the writer, the auteur almost. The auteur. Technically, he's an actor, too, because he absolutely insists on giving himself cameos in every single one of his movies. Not every single one of his movies. Pretty close to every single one of his movies. (laughs) He wasn't in um, Reservoir Dogs. No, shit, he was. Oh, fuck. I'm totally cutting that out. (laughs) No, wait, we need to say at the top, uh, we are not experts. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nope, total experts. Daniel has established himself as a cinephile and complete expert on on all things. I'm a cinephile. I mean, you know, I love Citizen Kane. True (laughs) movies, true films, if you will. Apocalypse Now, The Godfather, part one and part two, which showed- What about part three? Oh, I love part three. (laughs) 
They bring me right back in. Fredo, why? Why did you betray me? That, of course, is um, Sophia Coppola. (laughs) Fredo, why did you betray me? Anyways. Um, Have you watched The Godfathers? No. Really? I have not. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of, like, Scarface, Godfather, Apocalypse Now. Nope. So, um, you know, because in my spare time... I watch Pixar movies. Thank you very much, Daniel. <laughs> well, you can be a cinephile and still watch Pixar movies, but wow. Here I here I was thinking that I was doing the podcast with an expert specifically on cinema, but <laughs> I'm not. Anyway, uh, we're talking about uh, The Godfather. So <laughs> it's about this father who becomes God. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. This sounds like, like Bruce Almighty. I could have been a contender. <laughs> make him an offer he can't refuse and puts a horse head in his bed and he's like i can't refuse this horse head and he just drinks up the blood and he becomes a centaur oh wow (laughs) and then he leads a rebellion against the godfather um so yeah we're talking about quentin tarantino (laughs) and his movies yes um so quentin tarantino uh came to prominence as a he started out as an actor and a writer who sold his scripts and screenplays to people. Um, But he came to prominence in the early 90s with his written, acted, and directed movie, um, Reservoir Dogs. But a lot of his films can have, are characterized by, he very much popularized a nonlinear storyline with Pulp Pulp Fiction, um, what do you mean by a nonlinear storyline? So in Pulp Fiction, there are multiple stories that some crisscross, okay. um, and they all happen at different times in the movie. Okay. Um, or Reservoir Dogs, when we start in media, well, I guess we start technically before the heist happens, but then we get into the middle of the heist after the heist has gone wrong. And then we learn some of the backstory through that. Gotcha. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, and yeah, anyway, I can keep going on examples of nonlinear storylines, but how interesting is that? <laughs> so l- let's take a, a quick step back as well. So what what would you say are the the key characteristics of of a Tarantino film? Like, what is he known for as a filmmaker? Well, he's known for those nonlinear storylines, which are like. Um, the stories kind of like start in the middle, like in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. They st- <laughs> I was going to see how long you would let me explain the same shit over and over again, <laughs> but I broke. I'm so sorry. Um, so yeah, nonlinear storyline. So like in Pulp Fiction, it like has multiple stories and they all don't like start at the same time. <laughs> um all right. Other than nonlinear storylines, oh, that's it. <laughs> that that's it. Yeah, that's no it. other, no other key no other features. Movies, no. Nothing like ensemble cast. No, and, no. no. It's actually no. just him doing one man shows. <laughs> he actually does plays. <laughs> they aren't movies or films. Excuse me. Um, no. So he has ensemble casts. Um, he has been known for extreme graphic and brutal violence, as you may remember from yeah. me rec- or talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood back in our Braxton roundup episode when we had to round up Braxton because he broke out of his pen. Um, (laughs) And he also has, his soundtracks are amazing. Like he oftentimes has 
songs from little known kind of unpopular bands that then catapult them into popularity again because of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Um, and he also kind of does that with his ensemble cast. That's kind of what happens with some of the actors he chooses because they are back in, because Quentin Tarantino hired them and put them in this movie and his directing and his writing brought around this great acting performance out of them that it can, it's boosted forgotten actors so like like whom um so specifically like john travolta in pulp fiction oh okay he wasn't as popular as he was and pulp uh, as he had been pulp fiction brought him back to light and uh kind of catapulted him again to stardom and here we are today and now he's a gif jiff Yes. Yeah. Looking around. Yeah. Oh, oh. Leaving the Say leaving the what? Scene. One more time, motherfucker. <laughs> and kind of along. So let, let's get back to as well. Kind of uh, his Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino's filmography. So what yes. other movies of note has he worked on or produced or directed and or directed? So he is most known for the movies that he's written and directed. Um, he kind of got his start with a couple screenplays like um, Natural Born Killers with uh, Christian Slater. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, um, he acted in the movie um, From Dusk Till Dawn with George Clooney and directed and written by Robert Rodriguez and possibly written by Quentin Tarantino. Um, but around that time, early 90s, I think 1992... 94 maybe is when Reservoir Dogs came out, yeah. which was the first movie that he wrote and directed solely himself. Um, and it was uh, a kick in the balls of Hollywood. It was a film made on like a shoestring budget with, I mean, not like huge major names, but I mean, it, it has huge major names to us now, like Steve Buscemi, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, yeah, so that's kind of what brought him to prominence. Okay. But then his second movie, Pulp Fiction, was the one that, again, kicked Hollywood in the balls and got nominated for Best Picture, Best Screenplay, and he won for Best Screenplay for Pulp Fiction, um, which centers around, of course, a nonlinear storyline, which is multiple. <laughs> um, so, no, I, I got to say, Dan, I'm going to call you out. Uh-oh, God. Because I'm woke. Oh, no. Saying kicking Hollywood in the balls. Oh. Why does it have to be male? Huh? <laughs> Hashtag me okay. too. Hashtag <laughs> right. time's up. Kicking Hollywood in the groin. There we go. Kicking Hollywood in the vagina. Hey, whoa. Is that better? Let's not promote violence against women. Thank you very much. So violence against man is fine? <laughs> Adam? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, what you didn't know was that I'm one of those red pill dudes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, uh, no. Anywho. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, rose to popularity and became made his mark in Hollywood because of Pulp Fiction and the screenplay that he wrote and the acting within it. Then, I mean, we can just go through his filmography. Yeah. Then he did Jackie Brown, which is probably his least well-known movie. Um, it came out after Pulp Fiction, or it was his third movie. It came out after Pulp Fiction, of course, um, and was kind of similar to Pulp Fiction, had the ensemble cast and um, nonlinear storylines. And I've, I've like maybe watched it two or three times, okay. not as many as the other 
ones that I've seen of his. So I'm not that familiar with Jackie Brown. I really do want to go back and watch it after we do this episode because I've recently seen some stuff from people that are like, yeah, it actually kind of holds up a little bit better than Pulp Fiction. Um, but anyway, after Jackie Brown, then he released, technically it is supposed to be one movie, but it's Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, and he wanted it to be one three-and-a-half-hour movie, um, but this was when he still didn't have as much power as he does now, when he can release a three-and-a-half-hour movie, um, and it was split up into Kill Bill Volume 1, which was released in 2004, I think, Yeah, 2003-2004, and then Kill Bill Volume 2, which was released a year later. And then after Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, he released Death Proof, which was an hour and 15-minute movie that he released alongside... Robert Rodriguez's, um, fuck, Death Planet or something like that. It was the Grindhouse movies. Yeah. Did you see those? I saw them with you. You did? Yeah. Do we they, watch them in, in college? Yeah. On DVD? Yeah. Okay. Because I saw them in theaters. And so the cool thing about Grindhouse was that in between the two feature movies, there were fake trailers. So there was like a fake trailer directed by Rob Zombie that was like, the werewolf Nazi ladies and yeah. Or, or do you remember seeing those? I think I, I, all I remember is you coming back from some break, having acquired the DVDs and you were yeah. so excited. They're like, yeah. guys, you gotta watch them. Gotta watch them right now. Guys, 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 guys. <laughs> oh yeah. Death. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Lady with the machine gun for a leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was, Oh, it's planet terror. That's the Robert Rodriguez That's right. movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we can talk about death proof cause that, almost tanked Quentin Tarantino's uh, career. But then he came back roaring with Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yes, he did. The uh, World War II um, movie based on uh, the assassination of Adolf Hitler. It's it's an alternate history. Isn't yes, it? Yeah. correct. Um, Let's kill them Nazis. Nazis. Uh, and then he um, released Django Unchained, which was focused on a uh, freed slave played by Jamie Foxx. And then The Hateful Eight came out, uh, another Western um, that was just focused on uh, an ensemble cast, but wasn't as huge at the set pieces as um, Django Unchained or Inglorious Bastards. And then recently, uh, this past 2019, he released uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. with Leo Decap and B. Pitt. Leo! Um, and Jack! Hold me, Jack! <laughs> I'm flying, Jack. <laughs> Leo, you're going to be pinned into that role for the rest of your life. Yeah, he's sucker. not going to have any other roles. <laughs> it's it's just a shame. You know, I think he actually has a lot of talent, yeah, he but he never gets recognized for anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's a terrible actor. <laughs> Such a pretty boy. Um, but yeah, so those are Quentin Tarantino's movies. And um, I mean, we can kind of... When we get to story time in Coco Corner, yeah. we can go through the plots of some of those movies and stuff like that. Sure. But did you have anything to add to Passion Fruitspedia? No, I think um, I say no in that I talk. It's such a misnomer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so That's yes, why I have you on the show for I, all those jokes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what a weak sounding snare. <laughs> Piss. <laughs> Macklemore, get out of here! No, Macklemore, <laughs> come on. Um, no, I, I don't think I had realized just how relatively modern 
that Tarantino is because I get like I never saw so I haven't seen Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and we can talk to that later on. It's <laughs> like pleading with me. His eyes are just like, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's like, not put down okay. the knife. Put down the knife. Stop. <laughs> you. Oh, quit you. And your Quentin Tarantino films. Oh, no, don't get started on this bullshit. Oh, man. Just <laughs> violence in the media. Jesus. Let me tell you. Yep. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> Detective <laughs> Detergent Adam on the case. Um, no, but yeah, yeah I, I, I at least recognize all those movies. And I, I, I will, <laughs> I'll put this out there. I am not the biggest Quentin Tarantino fan. Right. Um, I, I respect him as, a, as an, an auteur. Art. Yeah, as an auteur, <laughs> <laughs> a repertoire. <laughs> but I do, like his movies just don't hit me mm. like other directors' movies do. Like Michael Bay, <sighs> you know, <laughs> fuck you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although Quentin Tarantino may say that he likes his Michael Bay movies more than he likes his own. I remember when Fast Five came out, he put that on his top five list of. Uh, Movies of the year. Yeah. I was like, nice. I yeah. saw that. You know what? Why haven't they redone? Why hasn't Quentin Tarantino done an ensemble cast with the cast of from The Fast and the Furious? Why? Uh, Let me ask. Why? Because I think he would. <sighs> R.P. Paul Walker. Yep. If only he were alive, then he could convince Quentin Tarantino to <laughs> get him in one of those movies. <laughs> Yes, it is. Go ahead. I was going to do a Vin Diesel impression, but I oh, I would really like to hear it. We have we have an entire Superman. episode. <laughs> Groot. <laughs> Anyways, yes. So let's let's hop into Coco Corn. How about that, Daniel? Let's hop like little bunnies. Hip hop, hip it, hop it, hip hip hop it, adult stop. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, gang, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so let me. Uh, you want you want to start with me? Or you want to start with you? Um, let's because one of my goals for this episode is to try and get you into wanting to watch a Quentin Tarantino movie. Okay. So if I could just gnaw on your ear for a little bit about Quentin Tarantino movies and how I got into them, and we can juxtapose your a, apparent disdain for the movies. I, I wouldn't say disdain. <laughs> oh, sure. Here we go. He wouldn't say disdain, but he would say disdain <laughs> with two S's. Dane dis. <laughs> Dane Cook. All right. Anyways, so what? how did you first experience Tarantino de Quentin? So driving over here, I was trying to remember which of his movies I saw first. Because... Um, this was back in the day when DVDs were still popular, before Blu-rays, when you would watch your DVDs on your DVD player. What is a DVD? It is a large, large disc, about 15 feet tall. Whoa. <laughs> 20 feet wide. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, you put it in your house, and you had a projector that would go to the back of your house in your backyard. You, of course, had to have a backyard, so people in New York didn't have DVD <laughs> players. Um, people in New York only have only discovered movies in, in the last five years yeah. since streaming came popular. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, I am I was trying to remember whether I saw Kill Bill Volume 1 first or in um, Reservoir Dogs first. Okay. But it's kind of a similar story on each. Yeah, gosh. All right, I'll start. I'll start with Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Start so with, start with the dogs. I believe it was my older brother who owned Reservoir Dogs, um, and I watched it one evening in high school. I think it was 
eighth grade or freshman year of high school. Okay. Um, and really like hadn't seen anything like that before. Of course, I think that's how a lot of people are. Like they never see a movie like Reservoir Dogs until they see a movie like Reservoir Dogs. Um, and like fell in love with the dialogue, the relative, I mean, cause it's not like, I mean, I find it to be an exciting movie, but it's not like action packed. You know, there's not shoot 'em up gun violence everywhere. Um, but it was just like, uh, a movie that kind of tickled my cockles a little bit. Um, uh. and really just, I, I, it was just something that I hadn't seen before. Um, and while, of course, you know, I don't, I call myself a cinephile now, and I am, but... Ah, uh, uh, yes. With the, all the Marvel Cinematic with, Universe that you watch. Cinephile, All the Marvel Cinephile Universe I have. Um, and you know what's awesome? Spider-Man swinging around. Yeah, it is awesome. Oh, Adam. I am Iron Man. You are? Thor. <laughs> Who let Matt Damon in here? Um, so yes, um, watching Reservoir Dogs since this came out in '92, and around that time Quentin Tarantino had just released Kill Bill Volume One. Yeah, I was like, oh, I gotta see Kill Bill Volume One. And my older brother also owned that one, um, and that is just it's. So have you seen Kill Bill One and Two? Oh yes, multiple okay. times. Woo. Um, so that, of course, centers around Uma Thurman getting revenge on her, on Bill, who uh, killed her and her unborn baby, except, spoilers, she wasn't dead. She's alive. Um, She's a zombie. It's a zombie flick. Yes. Uma Thurman the entire time is like, brains. brains. <laughs> Bill brains. <laughs> um, She's like, samurai swords <laughs> and brains. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Yeah. Adam is tired. He's falling asleep while he's talking. <laughs> um, but that was another movie that was just, again, something that I hadn't really seen before, even though Quentin Tarantino in his movies, you can call it a ripoff. You can call it an homage to movies that he's seen. But, uh-huh. you know, me being a suburban white kid in his Middle, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, if you couldn't tell. Um, his early mid-teens, not knowing shit about shit, um, Quentin Tarantino introduced me to something that I hadn't seen before. And I remember watching Kill Bill Volume 1 and being like, holy fuck. What had you? What shocked you the most? About Kill Bill Volume 1? Yeah. Um, it was probably the violence. Um, like, especially... So in Kill Bill Volume 1... So with Quentin Tarantino movies, I know we've talked about like Star Wars and like Redwall, um, how you talked about how much you've gotten into the lore and learning as much as you can about the stuff. Yeah. Um, the Redwall stuff. Um, with Quentin Tarantino, I'm kind of that way. Like I kind of did a deeper dive into Kill Bill. And like, so in Kill Bill Volume 1, when Uma Thurman, the bride is her character is fighting the crazy 88s 
it when she plucks out the dude's eye. Which ones were the crazy eighty eights? It was the fight in like the restaurant. Oh, the the uh, like the ninja fight scene. Yes, I wasn't. I wouldn't call it a ninja fight scene. I would call it the crazy eighty eight <laughs> the ninja fight scene. Where ultimate, with the with the crazy lady with the mace. Yep, exactly. Yeah, um, where she ultimately fights uh, Lucy Liu. Yeah, in, that's right. In the yeah. snowy backyard, um, but in that scene, uh, the bride plucks out one of the her enemy's eyeballs uh-huh. and it goes to black and white like seemingly out of nowhere yeah and like so i was like this is you know right around when wikipedia is picking up i'm like why the fuck did that happen like start researching it more about kill bill and um quentin tarantino and turns out that uh quentin tarantino to not get an nc-17 rating had to make that scene black and white what yeah other, he wanted it to be in color but to make sure that he got an R rating, it had to be in black and white. <laughs> oh, Tarantino, you dog, you reservoir you crazy. dog. Oh, nice. Um, but so I, our, I remember about that scene is like the woman getting in, her like impaled by the mace, like the, like flying back, and, like cracking her in the head or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she gets cracked in the head, and then the bride kills her by slamming a wooden chair leg into her skull. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> hilarious um but kill bill was like there was so much going on in the movie and there was so much backstory that you didn't get in volume one um and so much graphic um, almost like cartoonish violence that appealed to me as a young man you know um and i'll be honest adam i don't mind violent movies sometimes they can be a little much but especially like cartoonish violence like that um, didn't bother me. Okay. Yes. It is, I think that's one thing was I still get just a little bit squeamish over overly violent. Even the car and sometimes the cartoonish violence is almost more than I can take. So for instance, I, I would compare that to the landing, the D-Day landing scene and saving private. Ryan, oh yeah. Where it's just like body parts flying everywhere and you're right. just, very immersive in the entire experience and that doesn't bother me but for some reason because it's so visceral and like that entire movie is actually pretty graphic yeah um but that didn't bother me nearly as much slash at all compared to i said that the the scene where like the woman gets in in kill bill when the mace like flies and like sticks into the woman's head yeah i'm like that sticks with me i'm like interesting interesting not because uh, they also in kill bill there's uh lucy lou to there's like a flashback scene where Lu, it shows how lucy how much of a badass lucy lou's character yeah. is um and i'm pissed off at myself that i'm forgetting her assassin name um but she cuts off a dude's head and like there's like a literally yeah. like shower yeah. sprinkler spray of blood. So yeah. that bothers you more yes. than something like that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, this, this, yeah, that bothers me much more than there's the pretty specific scene. And once again, that D day landing scene yeah. when the guy's like guts are literally falling yeah. out of his body. Adam's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Um, well, interesting. Maybe because it is, it's so cartoonish that I know it's fake. Interesting. And therefore, I'm not... It's because I don't have an emotional attachment to any of the characters in that sense. Gotcha. 
select less. I don't know. Anyways, we can psychoanalyze later on. <laughs> we'll get, we're, we're getting very armchair expert here. Yeah. Nice. Just like stupid fucking Dax. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Dax. Aw. Um, so, Anyways, yes. so yeah, so you watch Kill Bill yes. Volume 1, Kill so, Bill Volume 2. Well, see, here was the issue. For some reason, my older brother hadn't bought Kill Bill Volume 2. Dang it, Daniel's older brother. <laughs> so I had uh. to... Go to the Blockbuster five minutes away from our house. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Um, and so I like. Were, were you were you going uphill through snow both ways? Yeah. It was yeah. like I was like a child on Christmas Day. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, Kill Bill Volume 2, Kill Bill Volume 2. <laughs> um, so I sprinted to the Blockbuster, just like <laughs> arms akimbo, flailing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have Kill Bill Volume 2? Um and I was trying to remember, so of course, this was an R-rated movie. Yeah. I was not 17, 18 at the time. How old do you have to be? Anyway, and before, at that blockbuster near our house, I had been able to rent our movies without getting Ooh. ID'd. Um, and I'm trying to remember if it was this movie, Kill Bill Volume 2, or Scarface, <laughs> Where I got ID'd and I couldn't rent the movie. Oh. Yeah. I got very, <laughs> I was like, no, but like, like no. I've, I've rented it here before. <laughs> like, I, got, I, know, I was like, like, what does it matter? Like, just rent, give me the movie. <laughs> um, you must not like money, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And then and that's the reason Blockbuster's out of business. And then I was like, believe me, in 10 years time, <laughs> there will be something called streaming and you'll be gone. <laughs> and I was like, and then I, I'm just going to bring my mommy or daddy back <laughs> to rent the movie for me. And then, I, you, stro- then you rolled away on your scooter. Yeah. <laughs> kick push, yeah. kick push. Um, and then I brought my mommy or daddy back and like stood <laughs> arms crossed next to my mom or dad when they rented the movie. And I was like, see, I can watch this. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I can't remember if it was Kill Bill Volume 2 or Scarface, but either the prob- way. The problem with my local movie store was that I lived in a very small town, and they knew I wasn't 17 or 18. Oh, Adam. Sad. Yeah. Oh, well. So, yes. Luckily, finally, I found it and watched Kill Bill Volume 2 and found it to be a very um, fitting end to the Kill Bill saga. Um, And I don't know. I just fell in love and wanted to then watch all of Quentin Tarantino's movies and learn more about his style and kind of dive into it. Um, and luckily what I probably got into Quentin Tarantino and then, um, Grindhouse came out. Uh So that was the movie that came out after Kill Bill, which honestly was kind of a letdown compared to Kill Bill. Um, because it's centered around Kurt Russell is a serial killer as a stunt driver um, who uses his car to kill people. Okay. Like he, um, in one of the times that he kills somebody, he has this woman in the front seat and he crashes his car and it's like his stunt car so he can survive in it. Um, But the woman in the unprotected seat dies. um, And then, the other story in that movie is focused on three stunt actresses who um, are then chased by Kurt Russell's character. Gotcha. It's like a slasher movie, but with a car. 
Um, and while I guess I need to go back and watch it again, it's it's like Jackie Brown. I haven't watched it maybe as much as I should have. I think it has a lot of the typical Quentin Tarantino dialogue. Uh-huh. And when coupled with the Death Proof movie, which was straight zombie killing action and a lot of like gross humor and gross stuff. And, you know, the woman gets a gun for a leg and um, all that kind of crazy stuff. It's a weird juxtaposition where the Quentin Tarantino movie is a slow burn versus the Robert Rodriguez movie, which is just explosive action. Yeah. So I think I need to go back and watch it. I, I remember watching it with you and you, obviously you had seen it multiple times beforehand. And I just remember being like, this is really freaking weird. And I think that's yeah. where there, you know, once again, having not been mentally prepared to watch quote unquote, a Tarantino film. Right. It was like, I'm not quite sure what's going on. There are lots of blood and lots of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. And, but I couldn't get a semblance of a story. For Death Proof, there isn't... I mean, the story is just the cars. Yeah. the It's really centered around the cars and the dialogue. Um, so, yeah. Again, haven't really watched that one much since we watched it in college. Um, but again, more of that Quentin Tarantino dialogue. But then... Um, what saved Quentin Tarantino's career, I believe, was his movie Inglorious Bastards. Like, if he had released kind of another weird one, yeah. like Death Proof, I don't think he would be as popular as he is now. He kind of would have faded into obscurity. Um, but Inglorious Bastards came out our junior, senior year of college. I think we all went to see it in theaters. We did, yeah. I, think, yeah. I remember getting back to college and then going to see it. Yeah. Um, I think it was junior year. Anyway, um, this is, of course, centered around the um, several stories, storylines, intersecting storylines um, around British and American forces in Nazi Germany mm-hmm. fighting Nazis and Nazis. a Nazis, a Nazi officer uh, played by Christoph Waltz and a movie theater owner. Um, I forget the actress's name, but this is uh Melanie Laurent. And of course you got Brad Pitt and Michael Fassbender. There we go. Oh yeah. And you have Ryan from The Office. Yes, you have BJ Novak and uh, Eli Roth. And yeah. supposedly Quentin Tarantino makes a cameo in there somewhere. Um you have Mike Myers. Um he's in there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, you have a lot of people. Anyway, um this was like I was so happy when this came out because it was an amazing Tarantino movie that came out when I was a fan, like wasn't around, didn't come out in nine in the nineties with right Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. So it's, it's like how we've talked about bands like REM. It's not weird getting into bands that are, it's weird getting into REM. <laughs> no, fuck you. It's weird getting into Dave Matthews band. Ha <laughs> ha. Screw you. You just use the same insult that I said it's, to you. It's, it doesn't it's, work that way. Especially weird Daniel. because you don't smoke weed. <laughs> How can you be into Dave Matthews band and not be smoking Because I like weed? the music. Uh, so terrible. <laughs> and all you little heads are marching. No. Get in black No. We all do it the same. Um, anyway, so yes, Inglorious Bastards was nice because it was... Um, this wonderful, wonderful, and we talked about it in our 2019 roundup. Yeah. 
and yeah, so let's uh, let's start bringing you in about your yeah. Quentin Tarantino stuff because so, I could talk about it for I, a while. But I actually think um, between Inglorious Bastards and then Django Unchained, I think those are two of the more comprehensive and easier to follow stories within Tarantino's films. Definitely. So I really enjoyed Inglorious Bastards. I think the part of it was the shock value, mm-hmm. and I uh, one thing. I don't know if we mentioned it before, but there's always this, I mean, Tarantino does satire really well. Yeah. And there's always this like little tongue in cheek humor, almost poking fun, poking fun at the film industry or just, oh, like, the way movies are produced. And that's what I think I liked to not think. That's what I liked about Inglorious Passages is what it was, was that it was this really serious premise, mm-hmm. like yeah. Nazi Germany and oppression of the Jews. But at the same time, it's just like, the ridiculousness was at a great level yeah. where it lambasted kind of the, uh, I'd, I'd say some, some of the world war two genre. Oh yeah. Too. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah. It's, um, I mean, there are so many amazing scenes in that movie, like just the very beginning yeah. when Christoph Waltz is there searching for the hidden Jews yeah. and, you know, just the whole conversation between him and the owner of the farm. But then you get like the weird, um, scene where, uh, Melanie Lorenz character is in the cafe talking with Goebbels and Christoph Waltz is there. And like Goebbels has his translator who they're obviously like in a sexual relationship with. Uh Um, but then it's just like, it flashes to this, part where Goebbels is having sex with his translator and she's just like, uh, he's just like, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> and like Hitler is just like this, not almost like cartoonish character. Yeah. I'd say he's cartoonish, which, um, we could get into a dialogue about with how, um, Quentin Tarantino teaches or teaches how Quentin Tarantino observes and writes his movies on like the subjects of oppression of Jews uh-huh. and specifically in Django and chain, like the subject of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a lot of, and that's something we can get into when we talk about Quentin Tarantino, the person, um, a lot of controversy about Quentin Tarantino turning the subject of slavery into like a Western, like where yeah. people are having fun getting their balls shot off. Um, but let's before we dive into that, um, which can be an armchair expert dive, um, let's talk more about your relationship with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I so obviously I'm just not as big of a fan of Quentin Tarantino for reasons listed a for a for a fortnight, yeah, floss dance. <laughs> um, the but I really enjoyed Inglorious Bastards, I still re watch Inglorious Bastards. Um, I enjoyed Django Unchained. I have not rewatched Django Unchained for whatever really? reason yet. Huh. Uh, but I remember we watched that in theaters as well. I believe. Yeah, we did. Um, mm-hmm. And once again, I think it's more shocking than anything. I've rewatched Kill Bill a couple of times, both one and two. But it's one of those movies where I haven't seen them enough to like put them on in the background. Like, gotcha. Like, you got to watch those oh, yeah. films. Well, especially with Inglorious Bastards, because. It's not a foreign film, but it's almost a foreign film yeah. because three quarters of it is in French or yeah. German or English. I mean, crazy. 
<laughs> so you have to be reading subtitles when you're. But I totally, no sé, señor, no sé. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, and I think especially the later movies with his ensemble cast, like more modern pop culture esque ensemble casts. I yeah. think that's that that keeps you entertained. It keeps me a little bit more engaged because I'm interested to see what Tarantino does with those characters and those actors because yeah. he obviously casted them for a reason, right? So and and that's one thing where I like I thought Django Unchained was beautifully shot. Oh yeah, totally. Um, I still can't say that it's not like one of my top like ten movies or anything. Yeah. Um, never saw the hateful eight and mm-hmm. I got through half of once upon a time in Hollywood. I just didn't have time to finish it. Gotcha. And I have my, I it's, uh, once again, I think it's something that I appreciate about, uh, Quentin Tarantino's artistry, uh-huh. but also even though I appreciate it, I don't necessarily like it is like, I think the, the best way to describe it is every time you watch a Tarantino film, you're constantly reminded that you're watching a film. Interesting. Like you're never, I wouldn't say never, but like I think his intent is to make you very aware of the movie going, of the film watching experience. Oh yeah. And I, when I, for movies like this, I like to be sucked in and gotcha. not reminded that I'm You want to escape. Yeah. Gotcha. I just want to escape. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Interesting. So and that, that's what throws me off is because usually – when when I'm reminded that I'm watching a movie mm. or TV, yeah, usually it's like really lighthearted, fun movies. Gotcha. Like really stupid rom coms yeah. or or funny sitcoms kind of thing. Um, like I, but when I watch like in depth dramas, I just want to be like pulled into the story. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's I think that's what throw it throws me off, and therefore I I can't. I'm not as entertained. I'm not entertained. Oh, no. Here he is, <laughs> Russie Crow. <laughs> Good old the Crow. Russ. Good old Russie. Uh, that's that's what I think throws me off about him. Um, that's an interesting point that you have because, so there's a whole universe that Quentin Tarantino has created in his movies. So Quentin Tarantino's movies can be split up into two categories. They're... One category is like the Inglorious Bastards movie where that's like our universe, like our earth and our people and everything like that. And then there's the movies like Kill Bill 1 and 2 where those are the movies that people in Quentin Tarantino's universe are watching. So it's this whole thing where Quentin Tarantino, basically the story is that in Quentin Tarantino's universe, people are obsessed with pop culture, which you see in all of his movies. Uh-huh. People are obsessed with pop culture and know everything about pop culture and all this stuff because World War II was basically won in a movie theater. So uh, everybody is obsessed with pop culture because Hitler was killed in this movie theater where, you know, 35 or 9 millimeter film was used or whatever it was in the film. Um, was used to kill and Melanie Lorenz character uh, was the giant talking head, revenge of the giant talking head, um, you know, got her revenge on the Nazis that killed her family. Uh, and that's so, and then of course there's the kill bill. So because Hitler was 
and in World War II was ended in a movie theater, all their movies in Quentin Tarantino's movie universe are extra violent. And that's where you see the Kill Bills with all that kind of cartoonish extra violence yeah. that is there and extant. Um, so maybe that's almost like, maybe not with all of his movies, but movies like Kill Bill and other ones, maybe that's almost a point that he's trying to make so that you, I mean, you do think, oh, I'm watching a movie right now rather than being totally sucked in. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. I Yeah. So my question to you, and, and, we, and we, we've kind of gone through your your progression to Kill Bill. Do you want to take a quick break, and then we can hop back into the cacao corner? Yeah, I want to start taking breaks like the New York Times, the Daily Podcast, and the Wall Street Journal's The Journal Podcast takes breaks, where they're like, uh, they like it's like a cliffhanger. I know we talked about this in a previous episode, but I want to like figure out how we do it. So it's like, and then Daniel watched Kill Bill Volume Two. <laughs> no, I think it more has to be like, um, well, will Daniel and Adam get to the I Heart Quentin Tarantino section? <gasps> Find out after the break. Oh man! <laughs> Welcome back. Oh yeah, we back. Previously, guess who's Passion Fruits podcast? <laughs> Adam and Daniel had a disagreement. We did, sure. Oh, yeah, you in, jerk. In past episodes, um, yeah, I love Dave Matthews Band, and you seem to hate them. For yeah, some well, terrible. <laughs> and you love REM, and I seem to love Just them people, too. REM so underappreciated. Yeah, thank and you. Thank you. And someone's they're, finally bringing it to light. And like, they're just their sound so original. And just like the the bedrock right, of, of, uh, <laughs> of of rock, the joke is over. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. REM is the joke, Daniel. No, <laughs> fuck. I walked right into that one, <laughs> just like a wall. Um. Anyway, so yes, diving back into Quentin Tarantino movies. Oui. Um. <laughs> That's my dive. I could tell. Uh, so yeah, with his kind of like weird alternate. And uh, overlapping universes. He also has um, multiple, like, there are products in his movies that are products elsewhere. Like, there's Apple cigarettes, which show up in Kill Bill and other movies. And then there's, in Django Unchained, there's Apple chewing tobacco um, that you see one of the characters use. Um, The brother, uh, the character that John Travolta plays in Pulp Fiction, Vincent Vega, is the brother to Michael Madsen's character in Reservoir Dogs, Vic Vega. And he was originally going to do a movie called The Vega Brothers with Michael Madsen and John Travolta. Uh, But then they became too old and John (laughs) Travolta too weird. (laughs) And probably Michael Madsen too weird. Um, Anyway, let's kind of talk about why I heart Quentin Tarantino's movies and sometimes where the wheels fall off a little bit. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> that, that was a '69 car pileup. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, that doesn't even make sense. Think about it, though. It does. So, Quentin Tarantino. Um, here's some of the reasons why I heart his movies: is the dialogue. Um, there are a lot of quotable lines from his movies, like *Inglorious Bastards*. Okay. Like when in that which which quotes specifically? Um, well, of course, Brad Pitt saying, 
I want scalp. I want not uh, however many Nazi scalps he has wants, um, and I will have my scalps. And then um, when they're in the cafe, Christoph Waltz and Melanie or Melanie Laurent, um, and they're getting the the crepe, maybe some dish that requires, as Christoph Waltz says, his character, the creme, um, but. Melanie Laurent is like about to take a bite of this flaky, doughy pastry. Uh-huh. And he's like, ah, wait for the creme. And like, it's because, of course, Christoph Waltz is the character who killed her family yeah. 10 years, five years before this. So she's like, oh, fuck, I'm sitting next to this guy that I want to murder. And does he recognize me? And like, and it's like such a tense scene. And then, of course, like, uh, she gets the creme on her um, pastry and then she takes a bite of it with the creme and she's like, oh, holy shit, this is so good. Um, but so when I, teehee, um, <laughs> when I put in co- put cream in my coffee or anything like that, I say, wait for the creme. <laughs> so it's a, it's a quote that you... <laughs> I think other people say that. Another thing that I love about the Quentin Tarantino movies, besides, of course, the quotable lines, is the soundtracks. Like the the Django Unchained soundtrack is he for the movie and the film he actually recorded his vinyl records and then used those as the soundtrack in the film. Oh wow! So he like you can hear the needle drop, you can hear the scratchiness of the record. <laughs> yep, and you can hear him become a DJ. <laughs> He's like, "Hey, I'm Marshmallow Head." <laughs> yes. Wait for the drug. Jesus. Adam clearly. Yub, 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 yub. <laughs> yes. Bringing it all together. Nicely done, Daniel. Adam clearly knows a lot about EDM. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something that he's done from the very beginning of his career is the amazing soundtracks that he's put into his movies which again, as we discussed, have brought artists to light that have kind of fallen by the wayside. Uh, you know, so I'll, I'll always go and see a Quentin Tarantino movie in the theater. Always, Daniel. Always, always. Um, and you know, he he's such a auteur and a cinephile. Auteur is the word of the day. <laughs> yes, I said it three times, and now Beetlejuice is going to <laughs> eat our faces. No, an auteur is going to show up. Uh, so maybe I don't know if I want one. Uh, <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Quentin Tarantino shows up. I bet auteur, he, see, auteur, I bet auteur. a tour would be insufferable. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, and you're here. Check that out. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Hey, it's me, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I'm insufferable. <laughs> um, I, I did want to get into a question yes. of discovery into other actors. So, like, I knew that Christoph Waltz was more or less discovered in the U.S. film scene because of Inglorious Bastards. Yes. But like Michael Fassbender, I thought he'd been in stuff beforehand. I mean, he, it, so um, it, it was my discovery of Michael Fassbender. Oh, and the whole world revolves <laughs> around Daniel. Yes, it does. I'm you. big enough for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that kind of helped me discover Michael Fassbender's catalog of work, specifically the movie... Um, shame and Prometheus. hunger, 
Prometheus. Well, we're talking about good movies from Michael Fassbender, <laughs> although I actually don't mind Prometheus. <laughs> um, I didn't realize Prometheus was an alien film. Oh, yeah. Until like three quarters of the way through. I was like, no. <laughs> you didn't even realize that it was going to actually be about like you didn't realize it was even like a science fiction film. You were like, this is us. This is the show. This is us. <laughs> yes. So that um, discovering this hot British actor, Michael Fassbender, helped me discover Steve, the director's Steve McQueen's films, uh, Hunger and Shame, which are both very, very good movies uh, that Michael Fassbender is in. But there, are, there's also some stuff about Quentin Tarantino that there's stuff about Quentin Tarantino, like his use of the N-word in Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight. Yeah. And frankly, in some of his earlier works like Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown that people have criticized. Um, and he said things like, well, listen, I'm the writer. I'm writing these characters. I have the right to write them any way I feel like and how I feel like they would be. Yeah. Which is a very white man way of thinking. It's like this is... You know, I am. No, I think. Therefore, I am. Right. Almost. Yeah. But um, one of his many collaborators is Samuel L. Jackson, and that was something that a a interviewer posed to Samuel L. Jackson during the press tour of Django Unchained. The interviewer was not prepared for Samuel L. Jackson. The interviewer was like, "Um, "What do you think of Quentin Tarantino's use of the N word?" And Samuel L. Jackson, it's this very uncomfortable. That's actually a YouTube video I've watched, Adam. You'd oh, be so whoa. Proud. <laughs> Daniel, this is a great thing called YouTube. Yeah, okay. You access I a just lot of discovered it yesterday. YouTube. Yeah. Um, and there's this movie, little video called Charlie Bit My Finger. Oh, wow. <laughs> you should watch that too. Damn, Adam, back with the white vans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so in that clip, in the interview, the interviewer is like, what do you think about Quentin Tarantino's use of the N-word? And Samuel Jackson says, the interviewer is like, say it. Say the word. Yeah. And the interviewer is like, I can't. Samuel Jackson's like, I'm not going to answer your question if you don't say the word. <laughs> He's like, I can't say the word. And like Samuel Jackson's just like, say it. You're giving the word power by not saying it. Say it. And the guy's like, I can't. He's like, all right, well, I'm not answering the question. And they move on. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, Samuel Jackson has defended Quentin Tarantino's yeah. use of the N-word and I think has a, agreed with Quentin Tarantino's idea that he's writing these characters and if if he's writing a white person in the 1850s, they most likely would say the N-word. Yeah. But it's like in specifically Django Unchained, it said some hundred hundreds of times it's almost like dude like okay we get it we get that you are here to make a movie in the time period of slavery and same thing with hateful eight um we get that you're here to make this movie but really do you have to say the n-word so many times like you could make your point saying it multiple times i don't i don't know you have a look on your face i would have to go back and watch the movies okay because i I think if it's, I think it would be excessive if it, if it was out of character given the setting of the movie. Like in Django Unchained, I can kind of understand it, like because like, that's the the power dynamic between obviously the white slave owners and the slaves themselves. Right. Like clearly, there's it was that was meant to 
express that power dynamic. Yeah. Um, obviously, having not seen the Hateful Eight, I can't comment on that. But I, I don't, I don't recall. I, I don't recall being that shocked with mm. the amount of times the N word was used in Django Unchained because I was like, I can see it. I guess I, I, it's almost not like not like being shocked, but it's almost like becoming numb to it because it's said so many times. Yeah. And I don't think we should become numb to that word. Um, and do, do you think, so th- there are two thoughts of that. So like okay. with the Sam Jackson interview, like that's his point is he goes, right. you want to become numb to it because otherwise it, it, well, it perpetuates yeah. that power differential. Now, granted, I think it's very uh, assuming of Quentin Tarantino to produce a film by saying like, oh, I'm going to make this word so pervasive that people just aren't going to care about it I, anymore. That's, I, I guess it, that's kind of... It's like an arrogance almost. That's you know? kind of my... That's what I was trying to get at, I think. Oh, yeah, so insightful. Nice. This is arm, armchair expert all over the place. This is... I hope you are fucking enjoying this, Braxton, <laughs> because this is for you, you little bastard. Um, yeah, I think it's, it, it is that... Because he especially when he was making Django Unchained and the Hateful Eight, he yeah. was at the, he's at the peak of his powers. Yeah. So it is that white man arrogance of being like, well, I can write this character this way. And you know, I don't think this word should have power. So I'm going to be the one to make sure it doesn't yeah. have power in my I'm movie. I'm going to solve all the racial exactly. tension in America. Yeah. And we all know yeah. that was done by Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus with their <laughs> song. Oh, Old Town no. Road. <laughs> Um, so that's one thing that I'm glad that, um, Quentin Tarantino with his latest movie, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood got away from the Western because if it had been another Western, of course the N word would have been used liberally. And I was just been like, all right, man, now we just know that you want to say the N word. (laughs) Like now we just know you want to write it all the time. Um, so what, what other, because there are other controversies. Yes. Controversies. Yes. So, uh, the, you know, arguably excessive use of the N-word. Um, right. Let's save the violence one till the end. Okay. Because um, we can continue talking about that. But yes. tell me about this uh, um, H. Weinstein oh no. guy. That's another, that's another uh, unfortunate stain on Quentin Tarantino's legacy is that he was closely partnered with Harvey Weinstein. Um and has talked about during the Harvey Weinstein's um, sexual misconduct allegations came out. Um, Quentin Tarantino said, I knew enough that I should have done more, but he didn't do enough to stop Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Um, and there have been stories about when Harvey Weinstein tried to, I, I'm not sure exactly what he tried to do with Uma Thurman, maybe grope her or sexually assault her some way. Yeah. Um, and Quentin Tarantino like went after Harvey Weinstein and like told him to fuck off and like almost beat the shit out of him. Apparently that's what Quentin Tarantino says. And Uh I believe that's what Uma Thurman says. Um, but I mean, it's hard not to feel gross when you're watching movies up until I think maybe Django Unchained. Uh-huh. Uh, the hateful eight definitely, and see the Harvey Weinstein, the Weinstein logo, and be like, "Oh yeah. fuck, damn it!" Yeah, I think that's, and I, I, we're in this outrage culture. Yeah, and 
I don't know if it's completely fair to persecute just Tarantino because obviously there were many, many incredibly yeah. powerful no, no, people no. in Hollywood. And at, at the same time, I also feel like it's it's incredibly hypocritical of Tarantino to, as we were just discussing about the N word, bringing that that dynamic and trying. I would. We're assuming that he was trying to take away the power of the N word, right, or whatnot. Right, right, but right. then at the same time, he's like, I'm I'm writing wrongs with my film, but at the same time enabling right a, an incredible exactly. sexual predator and knowing about it as well, right, and not doing anything about that, right. And once again, you know, artists are artists, and that's you know the the power dynamics of hollywood or something i will never understand and, yeah and all that but I, it, it's yeah it does make you think well and i guess that's it's hard to then go back to his early like especially the kill bill movies and the pulp fictions and the reservoir dogs when harvey weinstein was at the peak of his power and just sexually assaulting people yep. all over the place and but you know his close relationship with the Weinstein group um, definitely uh, puts a bleh feeling in you. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like power and fame do really weird things to the psyche. Like what it's it's a god I mean, it's a god complex. Yeah, like, look at us after we've gotten so powerful. Uh, yeah, totally. At, whenever I see Adam, he makes me kiss his rings. <laughs> and what sucks is that they're toe rings, <laughs> pinky toe rings. And I have Hobbit feet. You're welcome, <laughs> Daniel. I mean, I've learned to enjoy it, but <laughs> I would say that out of all the things that um, the money has done to change you, money and fame has done to change you. That is probably my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> all the others like you know me personally shaving your pubes and tucking you in every night and cleaning out your ears like i enjoy that stuff okay the, the good i mean that's the, that's the that's the that's the and and this folks is called stockholm syndrome <laughs> ultimately that's the goal to get that famous where you find somebody who enjoys shaving your pubes um and you do you get that with a podcast so all you got to do is get a podcast going you'll become that famous yep um Stay in school, kids. <laughs> exactly. Uh, would you like, we can wrap up with the talk about Quentin Tarantino's yeah. use of extreme violence in his movies. So it's something that we talked about in prior podcast episodes and something that Daniel and I have talked about outside of the podcast world, if that's even believable. I know. We, once this podcast ends, we cease to exist. <laughs> Um, no, we just don't talk to each other. We yeah, only true. talk to each other through microphones. I, yeah. I, when I call Adam on the phone, I have to be on a mic. So I have to go to like a karaoke place and <laughs> grab a microphone. Daniel, why are you singing Creed? <laughs> yeah. Careless whispers on in the background. Um, so I think one of the biggest things about the Tarantino films is their... I won't say the word excessive, but the gratuitous violence yes. in the movies. Yes. And it's something that I've felt since Inglorious Bastards uh -huh. is that Tarantino has a brand. Yes. And it feels like he has to out to push the limits of his brand every single time he makes a movie. Totally. And that's what and I feel like at some point, I don't know exactly where that point is, but I feel like at some point he's doing it to further his brand and not to make the movie better. Interesting. Like similar to the use of the N word. Like I think yeah. there's a point where, all right, you made your point. I understand it's added this art artistic effect, but really did like, <laughs> so 
I would say and since it causes all sorts of reverberations throughout our society. Yeah. Oh, and acceptance of violence. We're all desensitized to it. Let's table that for a second. <laughs> um, here's what I'll say, because I somewhat agree with you. I think, especially since the most recent Quentin Tarantino movies you've watched have been Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. Yeah. Those are movies that are characterized by the last two thirds, three quarters of the movie uh-huh. being extremely violent. Whereas Hateful Eight um, does, and especially Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, are very much dialogue heavy movies mm-hmm. until the end where there's some typical Tarantino violence. I disagree with you that. Quentin Tarantino's violence is making us desensitized to violence in our world. I counterpoint, <laughs> armchair expert counterpoint. I so clearly there's a lot of violence around us yes. in both news media, other types of media, whether it be other films, TV shows, video games. Um, but that's. Especially I, I, that video game transport fever. Oh, oh yeah, God, you get crazy in there. <laughs> but I, I honestly believe that there, there has to be something going on psychologically that when you watch or interact with such realistic violence mm-hmm. on a consistent basis, that has to do something to your psyche. I'm sure, I'm sure it does something to your brain, but I don't know if it's like a permanent thing, unless because I mean, you talk about how much violence there is in the news. I mean, even how violent some of our sports are, like football or boxing. Like, I mean, I think the talk about video games and movies and the news, anything can make you desensitized to violence. Yeah. I think the when it truly reaches a breaking point is the people who are predisposed and have mental health issues from the start is where they may see they may see violence in video games and movies and they think it's okay because they are already have mental health issues that mm. affect them. Yeah. I do not the argument that video games and movies cause violence is one that I outright and wholly reject. <laughs> so <laughs> I've made Adam speechless. <laughs> Armchair experted. Dax is all. Dax is oh, lord. No. I yeah. I keep going back and forth on the video game thing. If we're really getting in, I really think I truly think that if we are to fix the um violence issue in America, that we need to focus on mental health. Um, and addressing issues before they even come up where people who have trouble separating video game violence from real violence can be helped before they reach the point where they enact real violence. And I think that blaming violent video games and violent movies is a crutch that uh, allows people to... Um, not blame themselves and blame others so that we can't focus on changing our mental health laws, our mental health approach, our the stigma of mental health, 
and the fact that our culture is even outside of video games and movies is such a gun culture that what we really should be doing is focusing on sensible gun laws, Adam, and we should be getting rid of all of your AR-15s. <laughs> I really wish you would stop brandishing them during the podcast. <laughs> so I don't disagree with that at all. All right. Now, at- good night, everybody. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> no counterpoint in this one. Although my my insight into this is that it's not just about the mass shootings that we've had. It's not just about, I think it's this obsession with and and normalization of, of violent intentions and how we solve conflict in this, in in our world, in, in, in our society. And that's what I think worries me is that being desensitized. And once again, not, I'm not going to say it just because a kid plays Fortnite, you know, they're going to go out and, you know, do bad shit or whatever right. or or what whatnot but i think it it's i'm not a doctor i'm not an expert but what i here i was thinking i was recording with a doctor and an expert yeah, but you're you neither you're um jerk <laughs> but i think that there's got to be something that goes on with our brains that normalizes and accepts a overly aggressive or violent behavior as being a as, as being a mechanism for communication. And that's where, like, you know, uh, so it's not, like I said, it's not just machines, but like domestic assault yeah. and how, you know, our interactions with uh, people on the internet and other, other, like this, this really quick call to arms mm-hmm. uh, that, that I think fuels a lot of our outrage culture here in the U S that, yeah. that I think is I, I, in my opinion, has rendered us less, rendered us helpless when it comes to actually trying to solve conflict with each other. Yeah. But anyways. Agreed. Um, so yeah, we're both right. Nicely done, Daniel. <laughs> well, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, that was much better. Um, well, thank you, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Go watch a violent kill uh, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> movie for me. But I, I sincerely hope that... Um, and that's what I wanted to get into with these movies is going from that young brash high schooler watching Kill Bill and Reservoir Dogs to the cinephile that I am today. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you could tell. You know how you could tell the, a true cinephile <laughs> is how? how much they bring it up, how much of a cinephile. <laughs> I'm a <they> cinephile. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Um, you know what I you know how how I know I'm a cinephile huh. I watch all movies in 3D <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah you just look like a nerd I'm like red and blue yo if it ain't in 3D glasses. ain't in a, an immersive experience mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus Christ so you only watch Avatar <laughs> <laughs> hey Avatar was a great movie it was slash Pocahontas <laughs> slash Fern Gully um but yes I hope this discussion Adam uh Makes you want to watch some Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah. I, um, I I definitely want to go back and watch Glorious Bastards. I want to rewatch the Kill Bills. Yeah, and as we talked during the break, um, the Hateful Eight is a Netflix miniseries. They cut the extended edition of the Hateful Eight into a five episode miniseries, where the episodes are forty five to fifty minutes each, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, very good. I really recommend the Hateful Eight. Um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is also very good. Yep. Um, 
All right. Shall we hop into recommendations? Recommendations. Here we go. Recommendations. Recommendations. Um, so last time you recommended to me the video game Transport Fever. Yeah. So I bought it. Oh, you did? I did. Nicely done. It was the all of expensive $66, not 60 <laughs> That'd be too much to pay. Um, I have not played it. Because, spoiler for a future episode, I've been playing XCOM to get ready to Ooh. talk to our friend, the one of the game designers for Say XCOM what? 2. We know someone famous. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> this will be the episode where we are catapulted into further fame. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, I do want to play Transport Fever. It's um, I've gotten into laying on the couch with my computer and uh, playing some video games and chilling. So I think Transport Fever will be up my alley very soon. May I make a recommendation? Wink. Sure. Um, is watch some, watch or read some game guides <sighs> on how to like dive. It's a steep learning curve. Okay. And I think it'll be, it took me like, I don't want to say exactly how long, oh, but Jesus. many hours of being like, oh, so that's how you do that. <laughs> it's, so I've played games like that, like Crusader Kings 2, uh-huh. where it's just like, oh, fuck. Or, I mean, even XCOM, that's kind of like that. Like you, I think it, XCOM's a little bit easier to get well, you're, into. Yeah, you're playing on the easy <laughs> difficulty. No, I'm not. <laughs> but yes, I will, uh, I will. once I dive into it, if it is a steep learning curve, I'll probably be like, oh, shit, I should read a guide, so... Thank you for the recommendation on the reading guide. Um, And last time I asked you to listen to the album Infest the Rat's Nest by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Did you listen to it? I listened to it. What'd you think? Uh, I couldn't. (laughs) It was weird, dude. Really? Oh, man. um, Because what was the song that you and Brian recommended to me? Superbug. Superbug. Um, (laughs) About like a super resilient uh, virus that kills humanity. (laughs) And, and perhaps it's just because I Adam's I hand right, is on his forehead. I wasn't in like the right listening space, but oh, I was man. like, "This is this is interesting." <laughs> it's so good. I've like listened to Superbug. Yeah, it is an interesting album because there's like um, a song called like "Mars is for the Rich." It's about people, poor people now live on Earth, and all the rich people live on Mars. And there's like a song about living on Venus and the super bug song. It's very, I, I think the guitar riffs and drum beats are fucking awesome. Uh-huh. And then the lyrics are kind of, cause we talked about how the band is like a psychedelic trippy, stupid band until they released this album. The lyrics are almost kind of very psychedelic story songs. So I get why you probably wouldn't like it. I would say give another listen, maybe when you're more in the mood, Okay, you, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then Brian last time on the West Wing episode, shout out to Brian, recommended watching some YouTube videos by the race team EF Racing. Yep. Did you watch any? I did. I, they, they were entertaining. I, it's like cycling videos that I I legitimately they they, they good they have good stories in them. So I actually went to the YouTube channel <gasps> and went to the team's website and read up on them. I didn't watch any of the videos because, again, YouTube, and I don't like videos, but we'll get to that about our own podcast. Um, but I, I am interested in that. I think that is a video that I would actually like to watch. I just, I don't know. 
because I come home and make dinner and then Katie and I watch TV. Like when yeah. do when do I go watch YouTube videos by myself? Like it's just weird. I can't answer that for you, Dan. <laughs> when do you do it, Adam? When do you watch videos by yourself? <laughs> uh when I get into bed. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How clothed are you? Very. Oh <laughs> hell yeah. You like that kinky shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so Brian, again, thank you for the recommendation. Adam, what would you like to recommend to me this time? Uh, let Here me we think. Go. <laughs> All right, so my recommendation to okay. Daniel and the rest of our listeners out there is to go see Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. What? Or TROS, if you What know. is this? So, Star Wars, <laughs> we're just going to replay our yeah. entire two Star Wars episodes, which if you haven't listened to, you should go back to and listen to. Star Wars. Gold. Star Wars, especially the latest trilogy, focuses on the twin brother and sister, Kylo Ren no! and Rey. <laughs> and their and the reason adventures you need to go watch, and misadventures. <laughs> you, the reason you need to go watch this movie is because Daniel is wrong and he'll be proven wrong. Anyways, <laughs> the, the right. movie itself yes. is, it's a, it's a, I'd say it's a solid B minus movie. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> how how you always want a Star Wars movie to be? <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, it's what Dana and I spoke about this before. But Do you think that would be the sequel to the B movie, B minus movie? <laughs> What's up with you in the B movie? You're obsessed <laughs> with the because it is a B who wants to have sex with a human woman. It's so weird. <laughs> and it's an animated kids movie. <laughs> And also, you say B movie, <laughs> so it just pops in my head. So sorry, Adam, shoot me. Uh, go ahead. Anyways, so the I think the tragedy of this series is that there was there wasn't. Consistent Did I ever directing. tell you about the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the tragedy? It's not the story the Jedi will tell you. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. What was the tragedy? <laughs> Is that there JJ Abrams or there was not a consistent director through all three movies. Yeah. And I enjoyed the movie because it, I thought that there was a lot of fan service and JJ Abrams did a fantastic job given the circumstances of wrapping everything up yeah. with a nice tidy little bow. Gotcha. Uh he did the best he could with the materials yes. he had. Interesting. The pacing in the movie is really weird. Cool. I love that in my movies. Yeah, it's it's just like <laughs> Is it like um a nonlinear storyline? Like say there's this movie Pulp Fiction where <laughs> Sorry, Wait, what movie? Who directed that? It's movie? called Inglorious Bastards. Um so you yeah, I I would recommend going to see it, if only just because you're you're a Star Wars geek. Yeah. And it's it's worthwhile seeing how the trilogy ends. So yeah, that's my recommend recommendation for the week. What would you recommend to me, Mr. Jubin? Okay. I have two recommendations for you. Dos recomendaciones. Oh, muy bien, señor. One, I don't know. You probably won't be able to do this one because you don't have a drive, and I don't know if you're going anywhere anytime soon. Okay. But it is, so there's an amazing podcast called Comedy Bang Bang Okay. that each year does a best of wrap-up. The host, Scott Ackerman, uh, hosts the best of countdown with the comedian Paul F. Tompkins, okay. and they go through clips from like 14 or 13 episodes. And it is a, I actually think it's a great way to jump into the podcast because what this podcast is, is Scott Ackerman acts as a radio, radio host, 
And then all these other comedians come on either to talk about, like they'll just be themselves and they'll talk to guests, other comedian guests who then act as characters in the um, podcast. Okay. So like Andy Daly is a frequent um, guest, but he plays a character. He's the uh, cowboy poet laureate of the Wild West. Uh, Paul F. Tompkins often plays the character Werner Herzog. Um, but it's just, I know you're a big comedy guy, and it is a very, very funny podcast. And I think it, the best of is a good way to jump into it because they just celebrated their 10th year this past August. Okay. So there's over 600 episodes. So it's kind of hard to figure out where to start. But the best ofs are a good place to start. So I would start with one of those. There are four episodes, and all of them are very funny. Um, and then I know you've started to watch it, but I s- sincerely and highly recommend the Watchmen HBO show. Okay. I know that you have not read the book. Right. I would really suggest reading the book. And, and so you've watched the first episode? Correct. Okay. And I know that you texted and said it was very confusing. I wouldn't say confusing. You you really have to pay attention. And so I think that it is a bingeable show because now all the episodes are out. Yeah. So you can get through it without having to wait a week. Okay. Because it is not until like maybe the fourth episode where you start to f- figure shit out and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, so I would recommend watching the show and kind of maybe taking a weekend to watch it because there are only nine episodes. Yeah. So, you know, watch two or three a night or something like that um, or nine in a day. Um, just <laughs> go for it, bro. Yeah. Um, but I really, I I know a lot of people have criticized the show and um, even the creator of the Watchmen has not allowed his name to be in the credits. Like he wants nothing to do with oh, the really? show. Yeah. We can get into that. But um yeah, I, the show it ended amazingly, and I think it is one of the best shows I've ever seen. Okay. So I'll, I'll give it, a, I'll give it a, give it a whirl. Nice. All right. Well, thank you everybody for stopping by Danke. our, um, <laughs> our cinema. Um, we are, of course, the Passion Fruits Podcast. What? We are now uh, on YouTube. Yes, we are. We are slowly releasing all of our back catalog. Um, it is not a process where we can click our fingers or snap, even snap our fingers, and it's done. So I think there's only one person we're actually doing this for, so we better fucking enjoy it <laughs> and listen to our goddamn episodes on YouTube. Um, no, but, but we have billions of listeners. Right, sorry. And, and, and at least half of those billions of listeners demand it be on one of the most popular media platforms of our generation. It's the stupidest media platform (laughs) of our generation. Um, So yes, we are Passion Fruits Podcast on YouTube. Uh, On Twitter, we are (laughs) Passion Passion Fruits SP2. Nope. Passion Fruits P2. (laughs) You can say (laughs) Passion Fruits P2. You could say Passion Fruit SP2, <laughs> or you could say Passion Fruits P2, but not both. We are, or just search for Passion or Fruits, searching for Passion Fruits Podcast, but we are Passion Fruits P2. Yeah. On Instagram, we are, let's do it together because we got this Passion Fruits Podcast at Instagram.com. <laughs> and then you can email us at 
passionfruitspodcast passionfruits at, at gmail.com. <laughs> no, you idiot. That's not like anybody emails us anyway, but it's passionfruitspodcast yeah, at gmail.com. Um, we are on Facebook. We are on YouTube. We are everywhere. In your ear holes. In your ear holes. Thank you again for stopping by. We will see you next time. Catch you on the flippity flip. Thank you.